Um, so when Daniel last week, he brought his message, I felt really left out because he got all the dad jokes. And um, so I said, you know what? I'm going to have one. And I didn't know what it was until my son told me. And I said, absolutely, I'm using it. So why was the bicycle, why, why couldn't the bicycle stand up on its own? It was too tired. That's a pretty good one, right? See, Daniel, I got applause for mine. You, just kidding. Uh, everything's a competition. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, of course, I got my Red Bull, so I should have my wings. Uh, good morning, Dustin. I, I am Dustin. Sorry, good morning, everybody. I am Dustin. Uh, I am the church playing resident here at New City, the Edgerton campus. Um, and I am super excited to bring this message. This is something that I've had um, in me for a long time. Uh, being a pastor and associate pastor, there are times that... Uh, you're, so you are a pastor and you, you have the call to preach. and um, So you'll be reading scripture, you'll be listening to podcasts, you'll be doing these things, and you'll get a word that's, that's a message that you know that you got to hold on to. Well, if you're not preaching every week as an associate pastor doesn't, then you, you grab a hold of those messages and you write them down, you keep a hold of them in one day because one day there'll be an opportunity to use it. Uh, I need to thank Pastor Casey so much for allowing me to even be here to do this. Uh, it's awesome that they, the, the elders of the church and the board said, they said, you know what, you need to take some time um, before it's needed. So sabbaticals and, and pastoral care and self-care is really important. Um, people, when they have this call on their life and this obligation, the, the things that you have to do and the, the, the stress and strain that pastoring brings, is, it's a heavy burden, right? It's hard. So it's really awesome that the elders have the forethought to, to say, you know what, let's get some rest before it's necessary. So uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to come here and bring this message today. Um, again, like I said, I'm super excited about it. It's going to be a continuation, really, of Daniel's message last week. So he had Abraham and I have Isaac, but if you've read the Bible, the Old Testament, um, there's not much time or, or area or story of Isaac outside of with Abraham. And uh, really what's left is him being deceived by his two sons, right? Getting married and being deceived by his two sons. So this is going to be about Isaac, but it's actually going to tie into Abraham and it's going to tie into Jesus. As I began to study and dig into the word, you begin to realize that it's all tied together, that it's one complete narrative divinely written by God that you'll see shadows and you'll see uh, glimpses of Jesus and the cross and all of it in the Old Testament once you've read the New Testament, right? There's a really amazing quote in his name, B.B. Warfield. Has anybody heard of B.B. Warfield? He's a a great theologian from the past, he said, the Old Testament may be likened to a chamber of richly, that drip, richly furnished but dimly lit. The introduction of the light brings, brings into it nothing which was not in it before, but it brings out 
into clearer view much of which was there but wasn't seen. The mystery of the Trinity is not revealed in the Old Testament, but the mystery of the Trinity underlies the Old Testament revelation, and here and there, it almost comes into view. Thus, the Old Testament revelation of God is not corrected by the fuller revelation that follows, but it's only perfected, extended, and enlarged. See, it's the Old Testament in Christ that brings into a much clearer picture and image of what the Old Testament means, what it's saying. The shadows are now lit. And actually, my challenge to you guys this week is going to be, after we uh, discuss what I'm going, you know, the, the, after this message, I want you guys to go back and read some of your Old Testament stories in light of the cross in a new way. And I hope that this message today will, will help trigger the thought process. So a little bit of back history on Abraham and, and Isaac. Uh, last week, a lot of it was gone through. Genesis, uh, or Genesis 17, 1 through 8 says, it, this is talking about the covenant that God made with Abraham. Uh, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty, live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abraham, Abram fell face down and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make the nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. So this promise was made, and Abraham and his wife Sarah are really old at this time, right? So he's like, Abraham's, with the faith that we learned that he had, Daniel told us about, right? He, but he was still... That doesn't mean that he didn't have times where he was confused about what this meant, right? Because he was old and he still had no heir. So the promise was made, but there was no heir. What happens when we try to rush God's timing? We take it into our own hands, right? That's where Ishmael comes in. Ishmael isn't the son of the promise. He's the son of the works, He's not the son that God promised would be his heir, but he's, it's, he's the son that is the fruit of Abraham's works and his own unfaithfulness. Then Je Genesis 17, 15 through 21, this is the, just a little bit after, and this is, again, this is just context. And God said to Abraham, as for, you, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Right? So now God's saying, listen, Ishmael's not it. I told you I would give you a son by your wife. And she, be, and, and she shall become and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a woman who is a hundred years old? Yeah. 
Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, not the son of works, but the son that I will promise. No, but, your, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for your offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall, he shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So God said to Abraham, I'm going to fix what you were unfaithful in. We can take that, right? We're unfaithful. We took it into our own hands, and God said, no, that's not what I've promised you, but I'm going to bless you in that as well. But the promise still lies in Isaac. Genesis 21, 1 through 7, the Lord came to Sarah, and he said, the, the, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God told him, Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah born to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him, and God commanded him, Abraham, as God commanded him, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have born a son for him in his old age? So now we see that God fulfilled his promise. So Isaac becomes the son of the promise. That's going to be important later. The son of the promise. We're going to read through, and this is the text that I wanted to get to. We're going to read through Genesis uh, chapter 22, 1 through 19, and then we're going to go back over it with the light of the New Testament. So let's first, let's read it in its, as it is, and then we'll bring it back and we'll read it through the light of Christ. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, the promised son, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and then come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took his hand, his, he took his hand the fire, and the knife. So they, went both, so they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father, here I am, my son, he said. Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to a place which God had came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar, he laid the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac. He laid him on the alt on, on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, Here I am. 
God said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns, by the by his horns. Then Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. He said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offsprings as the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because of you, you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned his young men, and they, they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. It's amazing, that verse of scripture, you read it and you're like, but it invokes some kind of, like, man, that's, why would God ask him to sacrifice his son, right? I mean, there is a commandment that says, thou shalt not, Murder, right? God asked him to murder. But when we dig in and we understand the underlying context and what it is, it reveals to us the full picture and what God asked of him and why he asked it. There are shadows that become, that, that are lit and the picture becomes clear. So let's go back through it and I want to, but I want to hit some points the way through. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, and after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, the son of the promise. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Mount Moriah, the place we learn from 2 Chronicles 3, 1, which I didn't put up there, which I apologize, was the place that Solomon built the temple. This was Solomon's temple, Mount Moriah. Moriah, it's, it's also in there, the interpretation that, the interpretations that most closely resemble Moriah in the paleographic Hebrew and fit the context of this account and the account in Genesis are the most, that's the most plausible. The reading of Moriah, which is the most plausible, which means substitute. Moriah, Mount Moriah, the place of Moriah, actually means substitute. So Abraham, so Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and he took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place that God had told him about. On the third day, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there and worship. Then we will come back to you. We. Abraham knew that God had asked him to sacrifice his son. He knew that no matter what God did, he could raise him from the dead if necessary. 
He didn't know what was going to happen. He was asked to sacrifice him, but he knew because God's promise, he was the promised son, that he, both of them, would be back. He said, we will be back. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it upon his son Isaac. God laid the wood of the cross, the offering of Christ upon his son. And they walked together. So Isaac is the picture. He is the dress rehearsal for Christ. Look at this. As it ties together, God was showing how exactly how he would redeem us. He laid the, offer, the wood of the offering upon his son Isaac, his only son, to his place of sacrifice. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham. He said, my father, Abraham said, here I am, my son. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. The two of them then walked together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there, arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham reached out, his, reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called him from, from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do, not, or do anything to him. For I, now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son, the son of the promise, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram. It's important to understand that a ram. And offered as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. We go back just a couple verses when Isaac asked Abraham about the lamb. He said, Dad, I see the, the wood and the knife and the fire, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. And this is why it's a dress rehearsal. Because what Abraham sacrificed was a ram. Because the lamb was not yet there to be sacrificed. And that's why Abraham said, on this mountain, it will be provided because it was on that mountain that Jesus was sacrificed, where he brought the lamb of the sacrifice. And he was sacrificed there for the sins of every single one of us. He didn't say it was, he didn't say this is the mountain on which it was provided. He said this is the mountain on which it will be provided. It was a foreshadow to Christ. It will be provided on the Lord's mountain it has been translated also that this, the place where God is seen or made visible. Jesus Christ was made visible or seen as God on the day that he was crucified on that mountain and then rose again on the third day when, the, when in the temple the, the curtain split right down the middle when Jesus died. 
the place where God was made visible, he was made known. And where he provided that sacrifice. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make you offspring, make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. It was a foreshadow. Isaac, the only son, the promised son, God was giving, a glim- giving us a glimpse into what Christ, he would do through Christ. His one and only son, the son of the promise, which he sacrificed on the hill of, on, on Golgotha, the mountain of the skull or, or, or the skull. Abraham knew that God would provide that, the ultimate sacrifice. He knew the ram what couldn't be it because God said he would provide a lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God, the one that was blameless and pure. The only lamb that would be anywhere capable of being uh, the true and real sacrifice anything possible to forgive sin. See, in the Old Testament, when the temple was operating, every single year, a lamb had to be sacrificed because it wasn't perfect. And there were two lambs every year. I don't know if you guys know this, but there were two lambs every year, and they had to be picked between the two of them, right? They would pick one and they would release the other. That's where the term scapegoat came from. But it had to happen every single year because it was imperfect. It wasn't possible for uh, this lamb to take away the sins of all people and all nations. It had to be perfect and, and forever. And that's where Christ is. Jesus is the lamb that God did provide on that mountain, making it visible his redemptive plan from the very beginning the only perfect substitute that can truly save. So let's go back and read that quote again. The Old Testament may be likened to a chamber richly furnished, but dimly lit. The introduction of the light brings into it nothing which was not in it before, but it brings it out into clearer view. Much of what is in it, but was only dimly or even not at all perceived before. The mystery of the Trinity is not revealed in the Old Testament, And here and there almost, but the mystery of the Trinity underlies the Old Testament revelation. And here and there almost comes into view. Thus the Old Testament revelation of God is not corrected by the fuller revelation that follows it, but only perfected, extended, and enlarged. Think about reading Isaac and Abraham differently. Knowing that God used Isaac and Abraham in his faith to foreshadow ultimately what he would do. God knew his plan was the same all along. But you can't read that, you can't read that the same any longer. You can't read that with the thought that we we talked about beforehand. Why would God ask Abraham to, to sacrifice his son? When you understand what he was doing, it changes your every bit of your perception about what he was asking Abraham to do in that moment. 
So I want to challenge you. If you're a Christian, you've allowed Christ to come into your heart and, and, give, and make you a new creation, dig in, read, and rediscover what's here. His word is here. That narrative, that, that complete story that from beginning to end is here. It's, there are so many stories just like this that become uncovered when you dig in. For instance, one quick one. In the garden, the curse of man was what? Well, after the, the fall and Abraham and Isaac sinned, God cursed the land and said that thorns would be pr produced, right? So the, the mark of the curse was, were, was thorns. As Christ was right before he was being flogged and the, the Roman guard were mocking him and beating him, what did they weave together? A crown of thorns. So Jesus took the mark of the curse as his crown before he sacrificed his life for you and I. There are God's narrative, his thread of truth, runs from beginning to end. Dig in, read, and rediscover. Allow God to speak to you through his revelation. And I would say if you're here today and you're not, you're not saved, you're, you haven't allowed Christ to redeem you and, and give you a new heart. Reading this in, in this word knowing that there's no ways that writers thousands of years apart could have ever tied these two together to these two stories together they lived in thousands of years you know hundreds of years thousands of years apart so neither one of them spoke the same language they were on different they were in different areas or parts of the earth yet they are perfectly in order in one narrative the miracle of the scripture, the miracle of the word. I ask, if you, again, if you're here and you're not saved, I ask that you let that sink in a little bit. Christ is the sacrifice that takes away our sin. We all fall short. We all sin. None of us are perfect. Not one of us. Every single one of us need redemption. Every single one of us need the cross and the grace that God gives. If any of us could save ourselves, if we could work our way to heaven, if we could say, you know what? My good works outweigh my bad works. You know, I should get into heaven. What needed would to be of Christ? If you could do, do more good than bad, then what do you, what, why would Christ need to die on a cross? There would be no need. But it's not about that. A judge can't say to a, a murderer, well, you've done all these other really good things and you only killed one person, you're free to go. It's not possible. You're still a murderer. And we're still murderers and adulterers and liars and thieves, even only at heart. 
the Christ of this Bible is the living and true God, and he can take away your sin. He can redeem you. He can give you a new heart and a new mind. It's a, it's a moment where you get to say, am I going to be Lord or am I going to make him Lord? The, the process is simple. You understand Christ is Lord and you make him Lord. You repent knowing that you are broken and lost and the only way out is through him. And you submit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the opportunity to know and hear it regularly. God, I pray that those who are, their hearts have been tugged on, God, that you would, Lord, you would convict them and they would seek your face, Lord, that they would make you Lord and Savior. God, we're grateful for the sacrifice. We're grateful for what you showed us from beginning to end in Scripture. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen.